Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Bummer, and welcome to the very first episode of the Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People podcast. Hi, Armin. This is Dr. Mike Bummer here. And yes, we are so excited to discuss this new type of pretrial, pre-litigation medical consulting that's really focused on helping our attorneys in those nine out of 10 cases that we know they negotiate and settle. Yeah, that's right, Mike. We work on the strategic development of medical issues and cases, as you know, and uh, often can be the missing piece in maximizing medical damages, future medical care and costs, medical theory development, and uh, much more. Today, we were going to start the podcast by uh, talking about a really interesting case that you had recently. Yeah, it's, it's really common that attorneys bring us in to save time, we, they know that our, our reports, when we write them, we call them comprehensive medical summary reports. They are increasing case value and we do it without breaking the bank. And this case that we had discussed, I think really highlights that at, at the ideal level because it is a bread and butter uh, car crash, very common occurrence, and it involves mild traumatic brain injury and a moderate you know, physical uh, injury. Uh, some knee pain and hip pain. Right, Mike. Uh, in fact, I think it's important for our attorney listeners to know that uh, this field of medical legal consulting, we act as medical consultants and not medical experts. So we answer any kind of medical question that comes up in a case. And in this case that you're talking about, there were multiple injuries, various body parts and various kinds of medical problems. And you outlined all that in the report, but we wanted to talk a little bit about the mild traumatic brain injury that the client sustained. Yeah. The attorney brought me in because the 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 client was getting the runaround from the insurance adjuster on these injuries, this the cognitive deficits not being legitimate and frankly maybe being overstated and not impacting her life. And as part of being a consultant, I was able to call and do a detailed phone interview with her and not only just her, but with her son who her adult son who lives with her and really represent that as part of my report. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things that often comes up in these cases uh, is that there, for example, in an auto crash, there are multiple injuries. So if there's, for example, a a fracture and some soft tissue injuries, but there's also a mild traumatic brain injury, as you know, many times the symptoms of the mild traumatic brain injury don't make it 
immediately into the medical record because the client and the treating doctors are preoccupied with the more uh, acute problems. And then uh, our attorney clients can run into some difficulty with pushback on the mild traumatic brain injury symptoms. That's exactly what happened to this woman. She was 50 years old and was an active member in her church. She actually was the head of the church choir and she had a secretarial job, administrative job. And her hip pain was really what took the center stage whenever she first, you know, saw a, her, her PCP after this car crash, she was rear-ended and she had bumped her knee pretty good and also had a hip injury. And that's really what showed up in the medical record first. But then two or three weeks later, she went to the PCP with some headaches and the post-concussive symptoms that we see really started to, to make their way into the record. And, and it completely changed her life. Is that typically what you've seen as well? Yes, right. So uh, in this case, Mike, did the treating doctors make that diagnosis of mild traumatic brain injury? Did they? No, make- no, they did not. So they, they talked about post-traumatic headaches that uh, had really only, you know, shown up about two or three months later. And, you know, it, one of the things that I had to do in this case was actually separate you know, your normal headaches that she was having that showed up years prior to these new types of headaches that were more severe, more debilitating and more frequent. And as you know, that's the the first thing that the adjusters and opposing counsel is going to look at is they're going to see in the medical record that this woman had a headache two years ago, right? Yeah, right. So are you saying then that uh, you were the one that actually made the uh, mild traumatic brain injury diagnosis based on uh, your uh, review of the records and interviewing the client? In this specific case, yes. In my report, I included that I believed she suffered from uh, a diagnosed, a diagnosable valid mild traumatic brain injury. And that that terminology had not shown up in the medical record to this point. There was There was some suggestion of post-concussive syndrome, but really she had not yet been able to seek the proper care to diagnosis. And as we know, there are are medical professionals out there who she would need to be evaluated by to properly diagnose mild traumatic brain injury. Right. So did the uh, attorney and the client, was there pushback from uh, adjusters, uh, uh, IME docs or... um, Opposing counsel on this? So she didn't, this, this woman did not have an IME done or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as my attorneys joke, a a DME, um, defense medical examination, but she, uh, she had seen mainly her primary care doctor. And that was probably one of the reasons that the attorney was concerned about validating these injuries is that there was not an extensive, uh, neurologist, uh, neuropsych eval, which then ultimately we were able to recommend that she seek and obtain this proper diagnosis and care, which, you know, we, we call care coordination. Right. So then the attorney was able to include it uh, as a damage in the case. Absolutely. And boy, (laughs) was he happy because as you know, this neuropsychological care is quite expensive. And, you know, I was able to estimate that it was going to cost about $15,000 for the full scope of diagnosis and, and even initiating treatment of her mild traumatic brain injury. And I, Armin, I'll jump back to one of the things I think it's worth noting is I didn't mm-hmm. just pull this 
traumatic brain injury out of thin air. Sure. You know, her, her son, when we spoke said, you know, my mom just hadn't been the same since, uh, since the crash, she stopped doing laundry. You know, I mentioned she was, uh, you know, the organizer of her church choir. She was no longer able to do that. And so her whole life had really changed. And that's where, when we get involved in these cases, it, it's a real level, high level pride to summarize and put the, all the missing pieces together because these, these poor clients are not, they're, they're often not the same after a crash. Right. Right. So, so you made the, uh, diagnosis. So there was a damage in the case. Um, you, uh, gave opinions regarding future medical care and costs for this damage and included that in the medical summary. And then uh, was the case negotiated then negotiated out into a settlement? Yes, it was. Yep. And, and you should also note, well, the attorney just loosely gave me the feedback that it tremendously increased the case value. So the, I, I know that's easy to say, but it, it really made a lot of sense because there were factors of the future medical care that he had not anticipated, including in the settlement demand. So when yeah, yeah. he spoke before the next case, he said, gosh, that really helped me significantly. He didn't give me an exact amount, sure. but the, uh, you know, the other area that I thought this report really helped him was that I was able to really lay out the A to B to C to D, like the connecting the dots between these and you know with the the temporal relationship between mm-hmm. the crash and the the new symptoms. And that's something that you taught me whenever whenever I learned from you how to do this years ago. Yeah, yeah. So as one of my uh, attorney clients uh, likes to say, uh, you, basically you were able to to pull out some really good facts. Yeah, so you had good facts that uh, helped that uh, attorney to prove up uh, another damage in the case that um, he might have missed or uh, might have been uh, had some pushback on uh, from adjusters or opposing counsel, but did get into the settlement. So that's that's just awesome. It really is. And, you know, one of the questions I got surrounding this was, you know, how are we positioned to make these potential, you know, observations, diagnoses, treatments. And I tell my attorneys, I include peer-reviewed medical literature. And as part of many of my papers, I include five to 15 peer-reviewed literature citations on on how it relates to the injuries. Right. So, you know, I think our listeners might want to know. So, Obviously, what we do is uh, uh, attorney will come to us uh, and we'll talk about the case, right? Then the next thing we always do is read the medical records in the case. And then we'll do, uh, and after reading the medical records, we'll interview their client. Now, typically, we'll do that interview by phone or Zoom meeting. Uh, Probably 95% of the time we can do it that way. If we really need to eyeball the client, we can do it in the conference room at the attorney's office. And then we're in a position to do whatever medical research we need to do so we can quote the literature. uh, And then we're in a position to write a report and uh, talk about the symptoms, the functional losses, and and everything else that we see uh, in uh, for that particular medical damage. Bingo. And Armin, you were, you were going to talk about a case as well, where the attorney asked you to answer a specific medical question. And if I remember, it was kind of a wild case. I don't want to spoil it, but I, I remember the punchline. But if you could elaborate on that, what, what, what was that involved? 
Yeah, that's, this really was kind of a, a, a crazy case. Talk about having good facts, you know. Um, but this was a, a case of a 68-year-old man who was walking home uh, from a dinner late at night in a mountain town. It was January. He walks past a construction site. There uh, is there no no fencing, no flashing lights, no signs, and this poor guy falls into a five foot deep uh, hole at the construction oh site. Yeah, there was a rebar on the sides of this hole. There were rocks at the bottom of this hole. He hits his head. He's unconscious for a while. And the the crazy thing is, uh, he, no, no liability, right? Zero yeah, liability. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, so the crazy thing is, this happens like around uh, 11 at night uh, at the end of January, and he isn't found until 8 o'clock the next morning. Uh, when first responders get there, uh, his body temperature is 61 degrees Fahrenheit. So he was actually... Uh, kind of frozen in a fetal position and rushed to a, a, a local small hospital. And okay. by the way, they gave this guy incredible care, probably saved his life. And uh, I, uh, I don't think the best way to say it is they kind of thought him out. And then uh, later that day, by flight for life helicopter, he was taken to a, a much larger city hospital uh, for his continued treatment. And when he was in that hospital, they found out that he had elevated blood sugars and turns out that he had very good medical records. In fact, his primary care physician was his niece for the last 10 years. And there was, there was no history of this guy having diabetes, right? Okay. Um, and so here's the question uh, that the, the uh, my attorney client wanted uh, answered. He said, would the natural... Uh, pathophysiology of the client's pre-trauma medical status have inevitably resulted in his being diabetic. And the second question was, if he had been left alone, would he now have diabetes? And hmm. so crazy case, right? So I, I went to the medical literature on this case. And what I found is that in certain people with certain predisposing factors, both both physical trauma and or psychological trauma can precipitate a new case of diabetes. So, uh, and how do you think? I mean, for yeah. that to for that to be found out at that stage, I can only imagine where you're going with this. Is that's now a lifelong diagnosis? How old was this gentleman again? He was 68 at the time. Okay. And so now, yeah, please continue. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to kind of guess where, where this was headed. Right, right. So uh, again, as the attorney said in the case, a big damage, right? Because it's potentially life-threatening. You can have kidney problems. You can uh, have a peripheral neuropathy. Uh, it's potentially fatal. And this is something that didn't exist before he fell into this hole. So uh, 
there's good evidence in the medical literature that uh, physical trauma can precipitate uh, this kind of diabetes. But the the, uh, the interesting thing, Mike, was that not only can physical trauma precipitate this kind of diabetes, but uh, psychological, mental trauma can as well. So when I interviewed this man, um, he eventually, you know, he was not unconscious, but he woke up. He could not get out of this hole. And he thought, uh, I am going to die, I, that there's uh, no way I'm surviving this event. And I can't think of any kind of psychological trauma that is worse than uh, thinking that you are uh, you're going to die in the next few minutes or hours. And so when I wrote up this report, I said, not only was it the physical trauma that precipitated this diabetes, but it was the horrible psychological trauma that he had as well. And um, interesting thing about the case is this case was settled. Uh, on the basis of uh, my report, there are actually no other experts involved, no endocrinologist or anything, but on the basis of my report backed up by evidence from the literature, uh, that this was included as a, a damage uh, in the case. And uh, it was kind of amazing that the guy survived at all. Uh, and uh, uh, he had some unfortunate uh, uh, medical problems from uh, this accident, uh, not the least of which was the diabetes. That That is extremely wild. I mean, I've answered some some unique and interesting questions over the past few years, but that one, I got to say, that one takes the cake as far as being able to string together and, and prove in the literature that there's yeah, a valid yeah. basis for that. Well, you know, as you know, I, I train physicians uh, uh, how to do this kind of uh, new medical legal consulting. And crazy thing is that in talking to some physicians that eventually wound up in, in my training program, uh, I, I've run into a couple of physicians that said, hey, that happened to me. I, I had an accident or I was involved in an auto crash and I got diabetes. And so uh, apparently... Um, it's not a common thing, but it certainly isn't uncommon. And uh, the uh, the client, the attorney, and I got to tell you, I was really pleased that we were able to help this man in this way get compensated for that damage. I'll tell you one of the cases I remember you telling me about this is again, another one of yours when you were asked a question about appendicitis and uh, a car crash. And right. the, 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 the attorney's client had presented, I believe, you know, six to 12 hours later to the ER with appendicitis after having a, uh, a moderate car crash and some blunt trauma to the abdomen. And you had kind of been concerned that, you know, that, that there could likely be no connection and that this was a, almost a frivolous question. And sure enough, you dig into the literature and there it is, you know, a, an absolute distinct connection uh, with mild abdominal trauma and the precipitation of appendicitis. I, I don't want to steal your thunder with that case. No, no. Something we were going to bring up later in the show, but yeah, it, the, those things are just extremely interesting. And until you dig deeper, uh, I'm always uh, curious what I'm going to find when I jump into the literature. 
Yeah, you know, Mike, that what that makes me think about is uh, when I did that case, uh, it was the fact when I interviewed the client, uh, even though she was properly restrained, she had blunt force trauma to the abdomen. And when I went to the literature, what I found out is that blunt force trauma, particularly in teens and young adults, can precipitate acute appendicitis. But, you know, when I was doing that research, I learned something really interesting. Um most people know about the um, magician Harry Houdini, right? Famous guy sure. in his time. And he had this shtick in his uh, performance where um, he he was promoting physical fitness and um, he'd have somebody from the audience come up, punch him in the abdomen as part of his act. Well, one night after uh, a performance, one of his competitors ran up to him on the street, just pummeled him in the abdomen and uh, this was 1926. Sure enough, he got appendic- uh, acute appendicitis from that blunt force trauma and uh, no antibiotics at that time, as you know. And unfortunately, Houdini actually passed away from the appendicitis that he got from that uh, pummeling of the abdomen and the wow. blood. Wow. Yeah. And um, of course, this happened to my, uh, this 22 year old uh, client, but luckily she had uh, modern care, survived to just fine, but it was a damage in the case. Wow. Well, that's a great story. Very interesting. Well, <laughs> yeah. if you're okay wrapping this this inaugural episode up, I'd, I yeah. I have one thing. I feel like if if our listeners have enjoyed what they heard and feel like this could be a value ongoing, their our next episode, I want to talk about a case I had where my attorneys often ask me to determine medical malpractice case merit. And so we call them standard of care reviews, where I look at the the real standard of care across all specialties, dig into the research figure out if there's actual, whether there was a violation or breach and whether it caused the ultimate injury. And this case is particularly interesting. It was middle-aged woman who presented to an ER and she originally was just vomiting and they found a blood pressure that was 208 over 143. And well, I don't want to spoil it. You'll have to tune in, but they discharged her and she, she had a stroke. And uh, I'd like to just get into a few of the details on our next show about the standard of care and how we were able to help the attorney figure that out and sort through it as a medical legal consultant. Great. Well, Mike, it's been fun uh, just bouncing these uh, things around between the two of us. I uh, hope our listeners had a good time. And uh, I would encourage all of you to uh, visit us uh, at physicianshelpingattorneys.com for more information and to hear all of our podcast episodes. Look forward to seeing uh, you, Mike, next time and uh, all of our listeners as well. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Thank you.